Let's pray before we go on. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love and for your mercy that it was first demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ, throughout of, of obedience to his heavenly Father, came to this earth, suffered, he died, so that we may have life. Oh Lord, I pray that today this may grab our attention and it may prick our hearts. For what you've done, Lord Jesus. We pray even this morning that your truth may come forth. Lord God, that you may speak by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. That your word of God may come forth in such a way as you have promised in your word that it may not return void. And Lord, we know that the enemy is roaming around and seeking whom he may devour. And Lord, he is attacking souls right now. And Lord, we pray that there is no room for the enemy even in this room. Our hearts are determined Towards you, Lord God. And we pray, Lord, that you have a hedge around us this morning. So we may hear your word. That you may speak, Lord. Fill this room with your presence, O Lord, your Holy Spirit. We thank you again for this opportunity. May you give us again the opportunity to examine our hearts. Thank you, Lord for all that you do for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as was mentioned, we are in the season when we celebrate the coming of Christ. And I have no doubt it grabs most of us our attention we do something different, we, we celebrate different, we sing different songs, we talk about different things. And even though yet there's always a burden that we're, you know, putting our attention on things that will not necessarily edify, but rather pull our attention away from Christ. And uh, it's like everything, we have to be aware, we have to stand guard, we have to guard our hearts. And, uh, but it is a amazing truth. It is amazing happening what Christ did. I think if we look at the, at all the events that happened the last 6,000 years, there is none greater than what Christ did. And we're so familiar with the story. We take it so for granted. It doesn't, it, it hardly grips our hearts that the King of Kings, the, the creator God became flesh and walked among men. And hopefully we we can grasp a hold of that truth in such a way that it awes us year-round. So one of the 
One of the things that I took out of the story, even was shared here by uh, Brother John last Sunday, he talked about the sonship of Christ. And in Luke chapter, uh, where is it? In Luke 1, I think, when the angel announced Jesus as the son of the highest, he told Mary, said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So, I want to take that a little bit further. Even as we have this whole Christmas story of Christ coming on our minds, I want to talk about an amazing privilege that through Christ's coming, through Christ's obedience, through Christ's suffering, He has given us the same privilege of being called a son of the highest. We, have, we as believers have been given the opportunity to be identified as co-heirs with Christ. Heirs and adopted into the family of God. Wow. How does, how does that move our hearts? Uh, just something else from Scripture, huh? <clears throat> I think it's something amazing. But here's the thing. It is only possible because of the coming of Christ and extending his grace towards us. And the angels knew it. When this one angel finished proclaiming about the birth of Christ, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What is that peace? It's the peace that there's a oneness now with God. Now, to what degree? I believe it's, it's one of the most important truths in Scripture. It is yet the most undiscovered and the less accepted truth. As Christians, most of the time, or not maybe most of the time, but many a times, we tend to act as wayward or at best as servants and not as sons. And without even knowing it. Without even realizing it. Because we hold on to something that is probably not even real. But when God talked about God talked about the peace and a goodwill toward men, He took it deeper than we need, than we can even comprehend. And I believe it's it's because we can't comprehend it is why so many of us are struggling. So many of us struggling to find purpose, meaning. It's why we have those ups and downs. It's why we live so many days and what's the point? Because Christianity is a mere ideology and ideas that we try to passively hold on to. 
rather than accepting an inheritance of being co-heirs with Christ as sons of the Most High God. See the difference? An idea versus an inheritance. Does that even ring with us this morning? We often get hung up on theologies like being born again or even maybe community. They're not necessarily wrong, but it's way more. We get hung up with all kinds of theologies and ideas and we miss what God's heart is for his people. Sonship is an amazing truth that reveals the mystery of, that Paul spoke by, spoke of, like in Colossians 1.27. So now anytime I'm using the word son, I'm also referring as daughters. <clears throat> this is not just the main thing. This is an inheritance for all of God's people. In Christ is all one. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this inheritance is there for all of us. And I would like to focus on that this morning. We can talk about the Christmas story. But I think we'll spend some time yet talking about the Christmas story. We'll spend some more time singing the songs. But what is the real effect of Christ's coming? For our text this morning, I would like to go to Galatians 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and Paul very neatly lays out exactly the point that I'm trying to come to here. Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God, true Christ. An amazing principle. And you, you can see through these verses that what Christ is longing for us is way more than just, say, being born again. Let's look at the first few verses where referred to as being a child and not differ at all from a slave. He compares a child even to a slave. He is under laws and rules. He is under guardians and stewards. And he's basically looked out for. <clears throat> and I see that more as 
as we just knowing the law which were instilled by the mass or the father of the inheritance that we're a child and it's not much different than a slave or a servant. A slave or a servant has no ownership, no inheritance, and all he does is listen to instructions, serves as best as he can, and probably does it perfect. Otherwise, he would probably get punished, you know, going back to that culture. And looking from the outside in, what's the difference? Besides, maybe the son actually gets to sit down at the table and a few such privileged has a better sleeping quarters and all that. So on the outside, it's very similar. The servant and the slave might be doing more work than the son, but the ownership, the inheritance part is the same. Now compare that to a walk with Christ. If we're still a child in the faith, we're still wrapped up in don't do this or that, or in Colossians, it speaks about touch not, taste not. Is that our Christianity? There's no ownership. There's no responsibility. Like as much responsibility that comes from a child or a servant. In fact, a slave is more invested than a child. The owner of an estate or a house could get by without the child, so to speak, but Without a slave, without servants, it would go down pretty fast. So, we can likewise be just children in the faith. A child. And I've noticed it's interesting, we're talking about sons. Later on, he's talking about a son, and it started out with a child. And obviously, in his mind, there was a difference there of coming unto on, on sonship. The, the son that inherits, that receives the inheritance. Paul compares that to in verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And I compare, compare, that, compare that to our time when we didn't understand who we are in Christ. Let's think about that for a minute here. Is, is our understanding of Christ just an ideology? Let's be honest with ourselves. That's why we came here this morning. We, just, we didn't come, come here just to just a regular practice. Is it are we just familiar with the do's and don'ts of Scripture? Or with the do's and don'ts, what is socially accepted in our church? Or is there a peace in our heart that we're partakers of eternal life, partakers of the inheritance that God has given us?
Our Christian journey is like a child's. And we come to the knowledge of the truth. And we also have to realize in our upbringing, there is a lot of truths. A lot of truths have been presented from an early age. But it's not yet where Christ wants us. Where does he want us? In all of our hearts, we have to come to the realization, just as a son, that he cannot just be a child forever, that he's getting older and he has to receive an inheritance. And he can do it while he's still a child. So we, we need to come to a realization where we need Christ and without him, it does not work. Especially if we look at eternity. Without Christ, it does not work. In all of our hearts, we have to make a, a serious decision for Christ. And once that has happened by faith, he says in verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. There's, now we talked what we heard in the opening, the thirst, coming to that realization, the, the intentional seeking of God. And we all have that void. It's how do we fill it? One of the things I have realized in my years, that I have a void. But I can, I can be busy filling it with all kinds of wordless activities. And we talked about that here already. It depends where we are. Sometimes we even make them look good. We sanctify these activities. A lot of times we just simply grow cold. Activities like social media, videos. We, let's, we're all familiar with that. Where there's, where there's a hunger crying out. Where there's a void. We notice a void. Instead of turning to God for help, we turn to a temporary filling that is very short-lived. But if we turn to God by faith, and we believe what he says, that he will enter our hearts, that he will bring his peace into our hearts. It again says in verse 6, God will send forth his spirit of his son into our hearts. And there's a connection being made. There's a witness being made with his spirit and our spirit. And we cry out, Abba, Father. That is when the transformation starts in our hearts and in our minds. When the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit was given to us, Romans 5, 5. And we cry, Abba, Father, not because we were taught to do so, not because it's written here in the Word of God, but because there's a oneness that has been formed through the Holy Spirit. So, sonship is a precious inheritance that we all have to ask ourselves, Have we attained it? How does this come to pass in our lives? We know it's through adoption. 
And adoption is not just a name tag that we receive because we confess something with our mouth. We know this. Adoption is personal. It's to go by choice into a relationship and to formally accept the arrangements. And while we're yet sinners, God chose to save us from destruction and invite us into his family. Paul refers to that in Romans 11, 17 and 18. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, that's talking about Israel here, and you being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them. That's being part of the inheritance with God's original plan. And with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And this chapter is a whole line of, a whole, uh, full of treasures of how God grafted us into the original um, root. And we can see how he's grafting us in, even as Gentiles. In our hearts, there's an acceptance and changing happen when we walk away from the destruction of this world and from sin and commit to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a commitment that has to happen. Brother Samuel spoke quite a bit about drawing near to God in the opening. My challenge usually to that statement is it's true, and I say amen to that. But my challenge is, how do I draw an eye to God? It's like anything else. If I want to draw an eye to this door over there, I start walking. There's a physical movement happening. I open the door and I walk out. So so it is in our life. The things that create distance between us and God... We physically have to remove them. Not just up here. We have to physically remove them. And that usually reveals the desire of our heart and the intents of our hearts. If there's nothing going on, it's just up here. It's just talk. But nonetheless, if we do it, Christ responds. And the change is miraculous. And it, it will happen from the inside out. Because that is where, that is the seed where our passions and the, desire of, the desires of our hearts exist. There is a rest that takes place knowing we are under the lordship, leadership, and protection of our Heavenly Father. It takes faith. When faith is in action, God moves. And this is why he said in Hebrews 3. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, day, as in the rebellion. Today. Being partakers of Christ is the same as partakers of eternal life. Just as God desired for his people a place in Canaan land to settle, so He desires for his people to find rest in him. And we cannot be fooled by trying to convince we are are resting in Christ and experiencing sonship. It brings our experience 
as a believer to a whole new level. From a child slave to a servant to a son. It's another level of relationship between the father and the son. Including the peace that God gives to his children. There are a few characteristics that we can examine. Let's see if we can catch them. And I'm sure there are more, but I just took four that I could think of. And let's look at Jesus first. The word of God calls Jesus the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29. This is a tremendous promise. Not that Jesus is the firstborn, which it's a tremendous promise in itself, but that we, that he calls us worthy to be part of that inheritance that we are brethren in, with Christ, true Christ. And Jesus' life was consistent and operated under the will of his Father. So we can look to Jesus. When he was 12 years old, his parents inquired what he was up to. After three days, he said, we tirelessly searched for you all over. And where were you? And he replied in Luke 2, 49, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So, number one, <clears throat> a son. And remember, when I say a son, it means son or daughter. A son will be consumed in his father's business. <clears throat> remember, a child is just existing, but a son is consumed in his father's business. There will be a sense of ownership. A hireling does his job as much as he gets paid accordingly. And that's it. If you pay him a lot, they'll probably do a little bit more for a short time for sure. But a hireling just does what he's paid to do. And he's done. And we can see that even here in our community. Right when somebody takes ownership, when they grow up, they come into maturity, they make a choice to be men or young ladies, they take ownership. And you sense a, you sense a maturity there coming forth. So it is with God's economy. A true son will take ownership of his father's business, just as Jesus said. Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And every day that burden lies with us because we are partakers of his grace. We are adopted. We are part of the family. We cannot just exist and live from day to day and see maybe what the next day will bring. Um, a son that is part of the inheritance will not just do that. He will care. He will care about his inheritance. He is he has adopted us and his spirit is within us. And that same spirit that worked in Christ Jesus is also working in us. So in us there's a burden arising of ownership of being about our father's business. A son will not be tossed to and fro. The ups and downs disappear. A son knows who he is 
and will not be regulated by feelings, by moods, by activities, by disappointments. Of course, there's disappointments and feelings, but that does not regulate a son. And usually what brings spiritual depression and backsliding is disobedience or neglecting our relationship to him. And a son knows what he has and what he's living for. There's many promises that could, that come with being a son. Remember, it's an inheritance. And we'll touch later on a little bit more how to get into that inheritance. The blessing of not having... How many of us in our spiritual walk when we were children went through like this, up and down, up and down? There's nothing. There's, then there's the high. It's like... When parents give their children something on the eve of the 24, there's a lots of excitement going on. Oh, what's for me? And we're handing out gifts. Come their birthday. Excitement. There's a birthday party. Children tend to get excited. Then they get disappointed sometimes. A son that has grown out of that does not go up and down on that level. He's steady. He's reliable. And I mean spiritual. As Brother Samuel spoke in the opening. He who believes in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And at the well, if you take part of the water that I'm going to give you, you will not thirst anymore. It's not going looking for more different kinds of water. Number three, a son will clearly identify with the family of God that he was adopted into. Just as we can easily identify with our earthly family, so will a son find identity and oneness with the family of God. Isn't it interesting if we watch like we live as a bunch of families here and every child goes and finds his own family and they know where to go. When they're hurt, when they're hurt, they hurt themselves playing. They make a beeline for mom or they look for dad. They know who they belong to. They know their parents. They know their comfort. They know their, their security. This same truth applies for a son. He knows the family of God. He knows his family of God. And we can take an example of Jesus when he was confronted or they told him, hey, your, your parent, your, your mom is out there and your siblings. And he said, for whosoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. There's, there's something that happens in sonship. In our hearts, that brings an identity with the local body of Christ. Now, I know this can also happen with just in the flesh. But when the Spirit of God does that working in a person's heart, it is evident. 
His spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are sons of God. And that same witness is evident if it truly happens as sonship. How can I be a believer? How can I be a son and not identify with the rest of the family of God? And then we fool ourselves and we try to identify with brothers and sisters far away. God in his amazing plan, there is a lot of wisdom in the local body. He uses the local body to, to confront our, our pride. He uses it to, to shape us, to conform us. And if in our being we rebel against that or we stay untouchable to that, it's a work that is unfinished. And, um, and God will just have to continue working in our hearts till he softened us, till he's moved us. In my journey as a believer, it has always been a priority, identifying with God's people. We can have all kinds of ideals and ideologies, but if we cannot find oneness with the body of Christ, and that I, I refer more here to the, to the local body, then the oneness that comes from obedience through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, is missing. That has been one of my biggest warning signs. We can come up with all kinds of revelations of doing this, doing that. The Lord has laid, laid this on my heart. But if the witness does not come from the rest of the family of God, there's a warning sign for me. A son will clearly identify with the family of God. Moving on. <clears throat> Number four. That the identity and the maturity of the son will, we, will increase as we grow older in the faith. Like we, we will get stronger in the faith as sons as we, as we grow older. As it was said of Jesus, Luke 20, 40, and the child grew and, be and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And later, when he was 12 years old, in Luke 2, 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom, yeah, it's just a little bit down the same chapter, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and men. Again, <clears throat> God's grace is there for all people. If we lack, we ask, and we mature as sons. A child, again, that is, <clears throat> should be part of the inheritance, never receives the full inheritance until it has been approved, until he comes and there are signs of want, there are signs of agreements, and he comes to the Father, and the inheritance comes. So this is, <clears throat> these are a few evidences for adoptions as son. But it's also a privilege to be partaker of the grace that God had ordained towards those that love him. God has extended his grace towards us to redeem us. 
He is extending it. He's making it available. What stands in our way? Pride. Foolish choices that restricts, restricts us from these blessings. And remember, I, I, appealed, I appealed to you at the beginning. Be honest with, with yourself. We're, we have to be honest with ourselves. Is Christianity ideas or are we partakers? <clears throat> There's the story of this woman who was given this great fortune for an inheritance back in the, I think it was the ninth, late 19th century. Her name was Hattie Green. <clears throat> Just a little bit of a, how it looks, how we deal with the inheritance that God gives us. She may have been the biggest miser who ever lived. <clears throat> her father died when she was 30, leaving her an inheritance of more than 100 million in today's money. Though it was unusual for a woman to be involved with banking and investments at the time, she concentrated all her efforts and attention on growing the family fortune. Her focus on money drove a wedge between her husband and their children, and the family was scattered. Known for eating cold oatmeal to save money for heating and washing only the hem of her dress to save money on soap, she was sometimes called the Witch of Wall Street. When her son, Ned, broke her leg as a boy, she tried to have him treated in a free clinic for the poor before treating him at home. His leg would later have to be amputated. When she died, Hattie Green was worth the equivalent of some $4 billion today, but she was alone and miserable. When I look at, at the inheritance that God gives us, what do we do with it? Do we keep it as knowledge? Do we, do we wrongly use it? Do we use it for our own good? Or do we properly use it? This woman was so greedy and so selfish that she even neglected her own flesh and blood. And, and it's, it's a truth. You, you can look that up. That woman was rich, but at the same time, she did, not, she did not partake in any of the riches that she inherited in a proper way. In fact, she did more damage with it than good. And that is a picture of the grace of God in our lives. As believers, it's all there for us. But we have to use, utilize it the way God intended it for us to do it. Here's another picture where everything as believers relies on obedience to him. See, I want you to turn to Romans 8, and after this run, we'll close. <clears throat> Romans 8, again, gives us a clear picture as believers on what sonship means. And for me, it's very important because I remember as a young believer, you can say as a child in the faith, I wondered what, what this all means. Does, okay, I believe in Christ. I've accepted his forgiveness. I believe in the cross. Am I a son now? And it's not quite that. There's more. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This is a very simple rule here. 
For to be carnally minded is dead, but to spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There is no inheritance then. We can, we can claim all these things. We can say we believe. The Bible says the devils believe. But if we continue to just live in the flesh, make the, the flesh making all our choices, all our decisions, we're still in the flesh and we cannot please God. There is no inheritance then. But he goes on to say, because he's writing to believers, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, he goes on to say, this is very sobering. If anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. King James said he is none of his. The spirit of God. Now, how does that come to be? The Bible also talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. I usually refer to the Holy Spirit as a gentleman. If we continuously quench the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit will back off. He will just leave us alone. And if we look at Scripture, how it dealt with the children of Israel, they defied God and they made their own choices, and he let them be to their own destruction. In verse 10, If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And we can clearly see again that he is applying this letter to believers. It's not unbeliever versus believers. He's applying it to believers who endeavor to follow Christ on that level. Exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Who dwells in you. But if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Can your where sonship through the Spirit comes in again. Romans 8, 12. <clears throat> Wherefore, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What do you see in verse 13? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die. You will live, sorry. You will live. And the flesh will die. Or if we live according to the flesh, you will die. So there is an intention again of seeing sin, of seeing wrong, and by the grace of God, going against it. This is how life comes. As children of God. Verse 14. So by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay? Eventually, we are being led by the Spirit, not only put to death, but gave unto life. He who believes in me, believing means 
doing, accepting what he says. In verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. This is where sonship comes in now. And that journey is not easy. We might read it here in a few minutes, but it's hard. It takes serious. It takes cutting off. It takes hurt. It takes tears. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is a witness that's happening if we live that life. And the Spirit himself bears this witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We suffer with him. If we want to be glorified together, we also suffer with him. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. And this can only come by learning to recognize the working of God around us and in our midst, in our hearts, and to be obedient to it. This is a tremendous blessing. And everything comes down to believing and looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made this possible. What he's done for us. It's the grace, it's accepting the grace and salvation that he has freely given us. It's right here. The inheritance is right here. Give our hearts, our lives, our passions to him, and, and we learn to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is what is giving us as the earnest of our salvation. Seeing the mercy of God towards us is so incredibly humbling. If we, if we meditate on it, if we recognize for who God is, it's humbling. It's like observing his whole life here when we read through the Gospels. As our text said, he came under the law. But not only did he come under the law, he came under humanity itself. The very beings that he created and let himself be judged, abused and heard to the point even the death of the cross. He could have said with one word, it's done. I'm not going through with it. And he could have put a stop to everything with one word. As he said, he could have called <clears throat> thousands of angels, but he chose not to. He chose to suffer. Why? Because he loved us. And may we remember that. And this is why, <clears throat> this is why we cannot play with the salvation of God. I've seen that for a long time and I've realized that God takes his salvation it's it's personal he gives so much it's again the season we give gifts 
We ex- if we give a good gift, what do we expect? Throwing it back into our face or thankfulness? So in closing, <clears throat> we'll never experience freedom and rest in Him until we can cry, Abba, Father, through the Holy Spirit. It has always been His will to adopt us as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Ephesians 1.5 So in the end, we'll see everything come together. And we can read in uh, Revelation 21.6-8, And He said to me, It's done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give off the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Again, to him who thirsts. I will give off the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But I want to close and leave you with this. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Amen. So my prayer is that we may grasp, and both, probably a lot of us have already, that we, we, we may grasp what it means to be a son, not just a child or a servant or a slave in the faith, but to be a son, to partake of the inheritance. And again, it's things, it's, it's things that we don't play with. It, it's, we earnestly see God with these things. As he promised, he who thirsts, he who I will give him freely to drink. So, amen.